Well, all right, church, we're going to have a great day today. I love this series. My name's Ethan, one of the pastors here. Uh, we've been doing this thing all year long called the New Testament in a Year. We figured it out. We start in January, read five chapters a week. We can read through the whole New Testament in a year, and that's what we've been working on. And we've made our way. Uh, we've got four weeks in a row where we kind of have a whole, we read kind of a, a book of the Bible each week. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So for these four weeks, our sermon series, we're going to kind of jump in and line up with that. Last week we talked about Galatians, and this week we are talking about Ephesians, which is awesome, because even though I feel guilty about it, Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. I feel guilty because I'm not even sure you're supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, but I do, and it's Ephesians, and Ephesians is so chock full of awesome, we won't even get to all the awesome today. We won't even get to like a third of the awesome today because there's so much awesome in the book of Ephesians. Uh, one of the things I like about Ephesians is it has a very different tone from some of Paul's other letters. Uh, somebody last week told me they didn't like Galatians, and before they even told me why, I knew why. Uh, it's because, uh, and they told me the, the same thing, Galatians feels really angry when you're reading it, and that's because, as we discovered last week, Paul was really angry when he wrote it, and so you sort of feel like you're getting yelled at, like somebody who leaves the caps lock on when they text you, you know, whatever, you're like, wait, what's the deal, man? And uh, that's what Galatians feels like, but not Ephesians. I, Ephesians, to me, feels so personal. Um, we, we know that the, the book of Ephesians was originally written as a circular letter. It was sent to several churches, including Ephesus. Uh, and consequently, it's the only one of Paul's letters that doesn't mention any local controversies. Every other letter deals with a bunch of local issues, and we feel like we're kind of reading somebody else's mail. But Ephesians doesn't do any of that. No local issues are ever mentioned in the book of Ephesians because it was written to lots of churches. And at least for me, it always makes it feel like it was written right to me. Like I can just read it. And it was written right to me and right to my church and my situation. And, and I think that's why I love Ephesians so very much. Uh, like I said, most of the awesome we won't have time to talk about. We're even going to have to mostly skip my favorite chapter, which is horrible. And I'll tell you about that later. But it's because what I want to do really is I want you to help you see what I think we often miss there is, a, there is a really clear central theme that drives all the way from the beginning of the book of Ephesians all the way to the end that kind of threads all the pieces together. And I think we sometimes miss it. And it's super important to catch it in Ephesians because, like I said, every other letter that Paul writes, the, the themes and topics of the letter are driven by whatever problems that church had, but not Ephesians. Ephesians, the theme is driven by the big thing Paul wanted to say. And it starts super awesome. Here's the way it starts. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll skip to verse 3 after he says hi and howdy. Oh, by the way, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians the whole day today. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, uh, grab it, open it up to Ephesians. We're just kind of race through. Uh, there are Bibles in the pews if you need them. If you've got a Bible app on your phone or a tablet, use that. You're going to want to stay with me. The text will be on the screen as well. All right, here we are. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That word will is going to become super important. We'll see in just a minute for the letter of Ephesians. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul starts by saying, you have been picked by God. God selected you. God chose you. Uh, we talked several weeks ago, we were talking about the, no, the notion of election in Scripture, what the Bible teaches about election. And what we discovered is that when the Bible talks about election, that means you're getting picked for a job. It's not about your status. It's about your role in the uh, ever working of God's plan to save the universe. So, so like being elected isn't like getting invited to a party. It's like when you show up at a party and they say, here, you're in charge of ice. It's being, you got picked for a role in the unfolding of the mysterious great big will of God. And in the next couple of verses, he's going to tell us what that is. I will say before I get to these verses, um, if you've ever found yourself wondering what God's will is, you know, have you ever heard somebody say that? You know, I just wish I knew in this situation what God's will was or what God's will for my relationships or what God's will for my health or which, you know, you've heard people ask those kinds of questions. Well, well right here, Paul's going to tell us what the will of God is. Now, there'll still be some situations where how that applies in our particulars is hard to figure out. But at the big picture, Paul's about to tell us right here what the will of God is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of God's will according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here it is, the great big will of God to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's it. It's bigger than saving you from hell. It's bigger than you getting that job or not getting that job. It's bigger than any little thing we could ever wrap around. The will of God is that everything, that all things in heaven and earth be restored under the lordship of Christ the way creation was always meant to unfold. Elsewhere, the Bible calls this intention of God's will reconciliation, to reconnect us to God and us to one another, to repair the very heavens and earth themselves, to repair the damage of our sin, to heal relationships and people until everything is reconciled into unity under Christ. That's the will of God. And the rest of the letter of Ephesians is to help us, you and me, understand what our role, what our chosen role is to, to, work, to do our part in the unfolding of the accomplishment of God's will. Because every one of us has been elected, chosen, not for a status, but for a service. And our service is to the will of God to unite all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's the, the whole rest of the letter is about how do you do that that and what's your role and how do you, how do you get to work on, on working as a partner with God to unite all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Paul starts with a little prayer. Ephesians 1 verse 15, for this reason. For what reason? Well, because God's will is to unite all things under Christ and you have been given a role in the accomplishment of that will. For that reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, here's what he wants you to know, he wants you to know three things. Know the hope to which he's called you. Know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's saying, if you are going to accept the role God has given you in the unfolding of his will to unite all things in heaven and earth under Christ Jesus, you got to know three things. You got to know about the hope and you got to know about the inheritance and you've got to know about the power. He starts with the power and I'm sympathetic with this because when you hear that it is God's will to unite all things in heaven and earth under Christ, maybe you like me, maybe your first thought is, are you sure God? I mean, that seems awfully big. Because the world is really messed up and I'm pretty messed up and my relationships are pretty messed up and our, our country's pretty messed up and our globe, the universe is pretty messed up. You saying, by what power, God, could you possibly restore all things to unity under Christ? That's the first question Paul wants to answer. He wants you to know that. And Paul says, well, the power of the resurrection, of course. I mean, nothing else would work. But if you could bring dead things back to life, well, then maybe you've got the power to restore all things to unity under Christ. Very next verse, that power that is now at work in you and me, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is Christ's body, the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. I don't know if you remember the old cartoon, the, the, the He-Man cartoon. This is just, you know, some, lots of you have never heard of this, but it was way back in the day with this cartoon, He-Man. And most of the time, he was kind of this scrawny little guy. But like when things were really in trouble, when he really needed it, you know, he would hold up his sword and he would say, I have the power and lightning would come down and he'd get all big and brawny and he'd go beat up the bad guys. And what Paul is saying, that I, he's saying, I get the fact that, that the idea that God would invite you to be part of God's work of uniting all things under Christ I get that that seems impossible I get that it seems beyond any power you might ever possess and of course it is beyond any power you might possess but Paul, Paul says but you have available to you as, as you as you become uh, ambassadors for the mission to unite all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ you have available to you the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead so, so the next time you're in a situation where you're like, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to work for unity here. I think I'm supposed to apologize. I think I'm supposed to forgive somebody. I think I'm supposed to not respond in anger, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. Just, just hold your hands up and say, I have the power. That's what He-Man did. And just say, I, the resurrection power of Christ is strong enough to make dead people live. It can make you forgive, you know, your, your spouse or something. You know, it can do that. After he tells them about the power, he wants them to know 
about the inheritance that is available to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is what chapter 2 is all about. Uh, If I haven't already said it, chapter 2 is the single best chapter in the single best book in the Bible, which would make it the best chapter in the Bible. Uh, But right now, I'm basically going to skip over it, which I can't believe. Like, our whole message should be about Ephesians chapter 2. I'm skipping over it for two reasons. One, I want you to catch this flow, and I'm worried if I spend too much time in chapter 2, you'll miss it. And two, I did check my notes. I have preached three sermons on Ephesians chapter 2 in the past 18 months. And even though it's my favorite chapter, that might be a little bit too much. So, okay. So, But in Ephesians chapter 2, there's so much often stuff. He says that you were once dead in your sin, and now you're made alive in Christ. He says it's not something you accomplish by your work, so nobody can brag about it. But it's a free gift from God. He says that God has made you his masterpiece, and God has given you work to do. And of course, we know what that work is, because he told us that in chapter 1. The work we're given is to be ambassadors and agents toward the accomplishment of God's will. And we even know what God's will is. God's will is that all things be united in Christ in all have all of heaven, all of earth united under the lordship of Christ. And then he says that this, this restoring work that God wants to do in you individually, he wants to do for all of us collectively. God wants to save people and people. You know what I'm saying? And, and he talks about how God has torn down the walls of hostility that divided us between one another and now in Christ we are one family and he ends with this reminder of the inheritance verse 19 of chapter 2 consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens you hear the emphasis on the unity that we now have all people united under Christ fellow citizens of God's people members of his household sons and daughters of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This is the inheritance Paul says you've got to know about. You've got to know that because of the resurrecting power of Christ, you now have a full inheritance as a son or daughter of God, and we are all one family. If you want to know more about that, we talked about that a ton last week when we talked about Galatians, because Galatians covers a lot of the same stuff. Uh, So go pick up a copy in the lobby or go look for it online. Find out how we are one family in God's salvation. He tells them about the power. He tells them about the inheritance And then he tells them about the hope. I love it when Paul talks about hope. I know far too many people who either have given up or are about to give up. Something in their life is torn. Maybe it's their personal life. Their interior life has been torn by their own sin and they're just ready to give up. Or maybe it's a relationship that is being ripped to shreds and they're just ready to give up. Or maybe they feel like their future and their prospects and their dreams are just being shredded and they're just ready to give up. And and Paul, all over the place, but especially in Ephesians, just says, no, 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 no. There is hope. Remember, we have resurrection power on our side. We have dead to life power that is working to accomplish the will of God which is to reconcile all things under the lordship of Christ and if resurrection power and the will of God are aligned together to reconcile all things under Christ they probably can heal you and heal your soul and heal your marriage and heal your friendships and heal your family and heal your future all of that becomes possible and Paul wants them to know about the hope and chapter 3 is all about his articulation of the hope and he ends chapter 3 with a reminder 
reminder of the foundation of our hope, which is in the love of God. Here's what he says, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Look, there's the theme of unity again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ so that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you can be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power, the resurrection power that is now at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the big point that drives the book of Ephesians. See, there was no squabble Paul had to settle. There was no church issue Paul had to deal with. So he could just straight up write to them, I want you to know the will of God for the universe and your role in it. And he says, the mystery of God's will has now been revealed. It is God's desire, God's intention to reconcile all things in heaven and earth into unity in Christ. God accomplishes this by the power of the resurrection. God offers an inheritance to all those, even those like me who were dead in their sins. God offers an inheritance to all those who were once cut off to now receive the gift of eternal life and the the. the, the position of God's sons and daughters and this hope we have is secured by the love of God this love that will not rest until God's reconciling will is fully accomplished and then Paul spends three chapters just kind of applying this truth everything we've learned about God's will and God's power, and our inheritance, and our hope. He just applies it to different areas of Christian life. Uh, He starts with the church, Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. What was our calling? Our calling was to be agents along with God working toward the reconciliation of all things in heaven and earth. That's the calling we got. So how do we do that? How do we live a life worthy of that sort of calling? Well, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, here it is, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He said we've got to work on it. We've got to try to, to move the ball forward in accomplishing the will of God. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He says God only sees one church and one people and one family, so we need to work to live our that truth. He goes on then, he talks about spiritual gifts and Christian leadership and how that serves the unity of the body. He tells us the function of Christian leadership. I love this, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service. This is the purpose of Christian leadership, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, oh there it is, until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, there it is. The purpose of Christian leadership is to be working toward the will of God. And what's the will of God? Well, it's reconciliation with each other unity of the faith, but also our reconciliation with Christ, maturity until we all reach the fullness of Christ. At this point, we're like four chapters in and we're like, Paul, could you talk about something else other than God's intention to accomplish the unity of all things in heaven and earth and under the Lordship of Christ? And the answer is no. That's all he's going to talk about for the whole book. We just sometimes miss it. He, from there, after talking about the church, he talks about our moral lives. Paul does this in most of his letters where he just kind of offers some general advice about the moral life who those who follow Christ. It's great stuff. Um, This is one of the the sections that's really hard for me to read in Ephesians um, because it's it's the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 and I'm reading through it and I'm like basically I do a third of this you know, barely. And so, like, it's really hard because, like, oh, man, I'm supposed to be more loving. Okay, humble. All right, I'll work on that. Hospitable. It's challenging stuff. But what you notice, this is what I want you to notice. Um, about Paul's moral argument in this section. All of it is focused on how do we live lives that contribute to the ongoing unfolding of the will of God, which is to unite all things in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Christ. Just one snippet. Just to see, you'll see what I mean about how it's, it's motivated by our participation in the will of God. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Okay, don't lie. Good moral advice. Paul did not think of that. Okay, that's good stuff. But why? Well, look, he says, for we are all members of one body. Think how dysfunctional it would be if your thumb started lying to your toe, right? Like that wouldn't work. Of course your thumb and your toe tell the truth to each other. And Paul says, well, in the same way, if, if we're really going to live out the will of God that we be unified, well, there's no room for lying. Look at the next one. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Well, well why is that? Why is it so important that we reconcile quickly? Well, we know this from experience, right? You go to bed angry and you wake up angry and you go to bed angry the next night. Whatever relationship it is that has caused you angry, I promise that relationship is just getting ripped farther and farther apart. Every time you go to bed and wake up angry, that relationship is a little weaker, there's a little more distant, there's a little less reconciliation. And what is the will of God? Well, the will of God is that all things be reconciled together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and so you can't go to bed angry if you're, uh, if you're trying to accomplish the will of God. Uh, or any, I love this. Here's his argument for why not to steal. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Well, again, he didn't invent this. That's one of the Ten Commandments, okay? But look at why. But must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those are need. He says stealing is an anti-unity practice and it needs to be replaced with a unity-creating practice. And the whole, the, whole, the whole chapter and the, and the beginning of the next just goes on with this moral argument of live lives that promote the very thing the will of God is trying to accomplish, the unity of all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. From, from this general moral argument, uh, Paul then uh, talks about some specific relationships. He says, okay, so this principle that we have been chosen, selected, predestined to be partners with God in the reconciliation of all things, how does this apply to our relationships? And he's going to use three as an example, three different relationships. 
He starts with kind of a cover sentence. And I will say, if you have any relationship that is being torn by division and disunity, and you know that it is against the will of God, you know that the will of God is for all things to be reconciled under the Lordship of Christ, and you're wondering, where do I get started? Paul's opening advice, I mean, I don't know how you could do better than this. Here's where he says, this is where all relationships start. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how you, 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 you heal a relationship that's torn. You honor the other. You honor them. Not because they're awesome. They're probably not awesome. They're probably a jerk. They're probably the reason the relationship is going south. It's probably all their fault. The Bible still says, uh, submit to them, not because they're so great, but because Christ is so great. And Christ is trying to accomplish the unity of all things under heaven and earth. And Christ wants you to be helping with that. So, so he says, start there. And then he applies to some different relationships. He uses marriage as an example. Uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And I'll just say, if you're in a marriage and you want greater unity and reconciliation in your marriage, you should take a look at what Paul says because that's what Paul wants for you. I don't have time to go over it in details. Many sermons, many great sermons could be preached from this. But here's the summary. You ready? This is the summary for how to foster unity and reconciliation in your marriage. This is it, real simple. Three things. Number one, you start, as we already saw, with mutual submission. Paul thinks that's the baseline for how to bring unity in every relationship. Submit submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. It starts there. Then, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, he says. I can imagine somebody in the first century hearing this letter read for the very first time, being like, wait, no. Didn't Christ, like, die for the church? Like, wasn't that the whole cross thing? Wasn't that? And, you know, Antichicus, that's who would have been reading the letter, was like, yeah, that's exactly what he says in the next line if you would stop interrupting. Yeah, that's what he says. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Every day, just lay down your life for her and your desires and your plans and just just lay it down for her. And wives, treat your husbands with respect. And, and, and Paul's not a, not a marriage counselor, but he just, but these are pretty three pretty good ingredients. This is all he's got. This is his whole advice. Submit to one another. Husbands, love your wives like Christ the church, laying down your life for her. Wives, treat your husbands with respect. And I will say, um, I have actually seen some marriages saved who just, they just said, we're going to do these three things. This is all we got. We got these three things. We're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husband said, I'm going to lay down my life for you every day. And the wife said, I'm going to treat you with respect every day. I have seen marriages that were on the brink of disaster become awesome. So there's probably more stuff, you know, um, there's good stuff too, but that would be a good place to start. Chapter 6, he says, how does all this unity stuff, uh, you, you reconciling all things under the lordship of Christ in heaven and earth, how does it apply to parents and kids? He's got some good advice, first few days is there. And then he tries to apply this principle to masters and slaves. And, and this, is, this is bold, right? I mean, because remember, the principle is that, that God's will is to reconcile, to unite all things in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you think if there were ever a relationship that that didn't apply to, it would be the relationship between a master and slave. Like, how could it apply to that? How can that be unified under the Lordship of Christ? In fact, sometimes we, people give Paul a hard time. They're like, Paul, why didn't you abolish slavery? Why didn't you try to end slavery like there wasn't an emperor? Yeah, I don't know what Paul was supposed to do. When we accuse Paul of that, I'm like, what was he supposed to do? Raise an army? 
fight the Caesar? I don't know. But anyways, but, we, but, but, so, but Paul doesn't do that. That's true. He never does that. But he does try to apply this principle. And I want you to pay attention to what he says. This is incredible. Here's what he says. It doesn't sound incredible at first, but trust me, it gets incredible. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if it were you serving the Lord, not people. I'm sorry, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, okay, I know so far there's nothing radical here. So far, it just took, sounds like Paul just took a little religion and painted over what was already expected of slaves. They were already expected to obey their earthly masters. They were already expected to do what they were told, whether they were being watched or not. Now he's just added a little Jesus in the mix. But you look at what Paul says next. Remember, the heading for this whole thing is submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what he said next. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What does that even mean? He just told the slaves to treat their masters with respect and sincerity of heart, to honor and obey them as they would Christ to work to win their favor as if they are trying to win the favor of the Lord. And after telling slaves to treat their masters like that, he says, oh yeah, and masters, that's how I want you to treat your slaves. I want you to work to win their favor as if it was the Lord. I want you to treat them with honor and respect and fear. I want you to look out for their needs just as I just told them to look out for your needs. Even when nobody's watching, I want to work for their behalf. I want you to obey them as you would obey Christ. I mean, I don't even know what that does. Like, like what would happen if we actually obeyed this? You know, I mean, this, I mean, it's true. Paul did not raise an army and go fight the emperor to abolish slavery in the Roman Empire. He just told Christians to do this. He told them to do the will of God, which is that all things be reconciled under the lordship of Christ. He goes on, he says, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. He says, don't think for a second that in the eyes of God, the master is any better than the slave, for they are both slaves to the true master, Jesus Christ. Just, he just undoes slavery from the inside out just by a, and all he's doing is applying the principle of what is the will of God. The will of God is to unite all things in the lordship of Christ. He, he, he says, he rounds up uh, the letter, by saying you need to get some armor. I think this is because we have been commissioned, remember, we've been chosen to be agents of reconciliation in the world. And that's a hard job, so you're going to want to be powered up with some good armor. You can read about it. It's a great text. He then introduces us to Tychicus. That's the guy who delivered the letter. I love Tychicus. I preached a whole sermon on him last summer. You can go find it. It was in the B-team series. Huge fan of Tychicus, one of my favorite guys. And then he ends the letter. As far as I can tell, one of the best letters in all of human history. 
Um, and it ends sort of where it starts. It just ends with this sense that we have been called to be agents on mission with God in the fulfillment of his one will that is now no longer mysterious but made clear to unite all things under the lordship of Christ. Now I want to I do something just a little bit different as we wrap up. Um, This has sort of been a a big idea sermon. I know that. You know, we've been moving fast, trying to thread together a whole bunch of pieces and see how the book of Ephesians holds together to move forward this notion of us as the agents of God's mission to accomplish the unity of all things under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I know, kind of a big idea sermon. And sometimes with a big idea sermon, uh, it can feel so kind of loose out there, there's nothing to do with it, you know? So I want to just be clear about what, what what I want you to do with this sermon, okay? Be real specific. The first thing I want to tell you is this. You, um, you can't seek the unity of all things under the Lordship of Christ if you are not in community yourself, okay? It's Connecting Sunday around here. Uh, that's our chance to remind you that we got 50 bazillion groups for you to get connected in. And I just want to be clear, you can't fully be on mission with what God is talking about through the book of Ephesians to unite all things with Christ if you haven't found a group of people to, to be with. And all that stuff we talked about, about telling the truth and caring for one another and giving to one another and sharing, you've got to have people to do that with. You, you can't do that here. There are probably 250, maybe 300 of us in this room right now. You can't do that in a room like this. So we got these cards. Grab one of these. There should be one nearby you. I really, I'm hoping that every single person will fill one of these out, even if you're already in a group. Why is that? Because that makes it easier for the person next to you to fill, fill one out. So even if you fill one out and you just write on it, James Bond was here or something like that, will help because it will give the illusion that you're participating. So grab one of these cards. Um, it's real simple. Just give me your name, your phone number, your email. How do you want us to reach you? You're not going to get harassed, but somebody's just going to reach out a couple times and say, hey, um, we would really like to invite you uh, to a group. Here's how you could get connected. Uh, but, but don't put this off. I, just, I, mean, I, know, I know I'm being a little blunt, but it's just true. You cannot be fully engaged in God's mission to unite all things under the Lordship of Christ unless you have gotten in a community and gotten with some people and are getting to know each other and trying to love God together. And this is an easy way to do it. We also got a connection kiosk over there, and they're all over the building. You could stop by one of them today and ask questions about how to get connected. You could just do it today or fill this out, and somebody will reach out to you. The other thing I just want to say, you're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come, but we've got this series, Hope for Everyone, coming up. Uh, you know some people who need to be reconciled to Christ, and they have given up hope. And Paul says, Paul says that the reconciling will of God is for every relationship, it's for every heartache, it's for every failure, it's for every regret, it's for every person. And if Paul's right, That means there is hope for everyone. And so you be thinking right now about who you're going to invite in three weeks when we do this series. I think it's going to be a really important series for us. Right now, though, I'm going to send us out with that prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to remind you of the will of God. The will of God is to reconcile all things, to unite all things in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Christ. And it starts with you being reconciled to Christ. And then you are given the mission to reconcile others. Let's pray. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.